My friends, let's hear the word of the Lord together. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at a table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with taxers, tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear Lord in heaven, we would ask at this time that you would open our hearts to your word as you have spoke it to us here, as you have inscripted it to us in the word. Now, Lord, we pray that you would inscript it into our hearts, that we would be transformed by it. Make that so, we pray. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask. Amen. Please be seated. And if you would, grab your Bibles. Turn to Mark chapter 2. Bill, I noticed that uh, Karen left while you were talking, but she's here now to hear me, so I just <laughs> want to point that out a little bit. Uh, we are indeed talking about uh, sin and what it means to be a sinner. So Bill was right. Uh, he's a great poster child for that, as are we all in that regard. Have you ever been picked out of a crowd? Has there ever been a crowd and you have been chosen from among the whole crowd across the board? That's happened at least two different scenarios for me. At one time, my family was together and we were watching a street performance, a bunch of street performers that were putting on a play. They were staging Beauty and the Beast, and they were getting cast members from the crowd for different things. And when it came to pick the beast, yes, I got picked <laughs> at the stage for uh, Play the Beast. The other time, I was with... Um, my in-laws, and we were celebrating, I think, their 25th or 50th, 40th wedding anniversary, something along those lines, and we were at a Hawaiian luau, and so we we're at this Hawaiian luau, and there's, you know, uh, all the uh, scantily clad ladies dancing around and all this kind of stuff, and there's a certain spot in the, in the program where they come out and grab people to dance with them, and these hips were not made to wiggle at all. And so it was, a, it was an utter disaster. It was a terrible experience across the board. In both instances, I know I can see why it was that I was picked out of the crowd. Um, in the Hawaiian luau thing, I was the only male in the room that was under 60 years old. So I was going to get picked for that one. I knew that was happening. When it came to the Beauty and the Beast, again, I am typecasted as the Beast, so that kind of worked out really well. It's easy to identify why it is that I was picked out of the crowd. Now, the, the question, of course, is why is Levi picked out of the crowd? We have the call of Levi to follow after Jesus in verses 13 and 14 here. Why does God pick him? Why does, why does Jesus call him out? By the way, we mentioned in the past that there's this ambiguous relationship that Mark has when he thinks about the crowd Obviously, the crowd coming to Jesus is a good thing, but there's also enough evidence in the book of Mark that the crowd is not always perceived as something that's really positive, that there's some problems with the crowd. 
And the problems are manifest here very clearly. You've got the crowds who come to Jesus are contrasted with the disciple who is called by Jesus. You have the crowds who hear God, Jesus speaking, and you've got the disciples who get up and follow after Jesus. You've got the crowd that comes and goes. You've got the disciples who remain with Jesus during this entire time. Uh, I beg you, do not be part of the crowd. It is easy to be part of this crowd. There's lots of fun things that happen. There's some good singing that goes on. There's some interesting stories that we hear from people. Do not be part of the crowd. As Bill is saying, let the word move from your head into your hearts. It's easy to see the crowd as those who were engaged with Jesus and listened to him and liked what he was saying and was learning from him and the gospel message never got past their heads. They never became disciples. Your call, the call of the scriptures consistently, is don't be part of the crowd. Be a disciple of the Lord. Seek powerfully to follow him with all that you have. But Levi is picked out of the crowd. So why is Levi picked out of the crowd? You can see here in verse 14, Jesus is passing by. And he sees Levi uh, sitting there at the tax booth and says, come and follow me. And immediately he gets up and follows him. If you've been reading along with us, you know that this parallels very nicely the story of uh, the, uh, the call of Peter and Andrew, James and John. This mentioned in Mark 1. Same story. Jesus is walking along the sea. He sees them. He calls them, says, come and follow me. And they get up and follow him. And so it might be thought that we're going to hear of the call of all of the disciples. There's 12 different disciples, so maybe we have 12 different calling stories. But that's not the case. If you know, this is basically the end of where we hear disciples being called to follow Jesus, but there's 12 of them. The rest of them are lost to us. Why are we specifically identifying, okay, the first ones make sense, the, the fishermen, they kind of make sense to us. They're the first call and they kind of set the pattern for the rest of the disciples. But why do we spe specify Levi here? What's the focus upon Levi? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons that are possible. The first is Levi's other name. Levi also goes by the name of Matthew. As you know, that's a frequent thing in, the, uh, in that tradition that you would have a number of different first names, um, what we would identify as first names. And so he goes by Levi sometimes, and he goes by Matthew sometimes, and Matthew, of course, is the one, the disciple who end up writing the Gospel of Matthew. So this might be Mark's nod to the fact that, hey, you, you remember that guy Levi, Matthew, who wrote the other Gospel account. So it might be something along those lines. Uh, but I don't necessarily think that's the primary reason. Levi is called specifically to contrast a bit with the call to the other disciples. Now, it would have been surprising to uh, people who watched Jesus, who were following Jesus, to the crowd, it would have been surprising to the crowd that Jesus called the fishermen. The fishermen were ordinary folks. They had uh, ordinary jobs. They, they were kind of uh, normal people walking through this world and stuff like that. And it would have been surprising that Jesus would have picked them. That's not normally where 
a teacher would go to find disciples, people to teach. You know, they go to seminary, they go to Bible colleges, they go to the synagogue or the temple. If, if that's where you would normally find your disciples, and Jesus reaching out to the uh, fishermen here and calling fishermen to follow him, that's a bit odd, perhaps. It's, it's surprising. Jesus calling Levi is nothing short of scandalous. Now, Levi, as you can see from the story, he was a tax collector. We're entering tax season. Nobody likes paying taxes. Uh, you know, we all grumble during that time period, during tax season, etc. So uh, there's a natural bent to immediately dislike Levi a little bit uh, because he's a tax collector. Uh, but it's a much more serious issue in the ancient Near East that Levi was a tax collector. A tax collector just wasn't somebody who had their hand in your pocket. A tax collector, Levi, was Jewish by birth, and yet he was intentionally working for the Roman occupying government. He was, in short, a traitor. The traitor of traitors. The worst possible thing you could imagine would be a tax collector's. And the scriptures and the extra-biblical writings of the Pharisees are filled with denunciation of tax collectors. Do you realize the tax collectors were kicked out of the temple and were excluded from the synagogue? Tax collectors were excluded from their families, by and large. They were not allowed to associate with their families. Nobody could interact faithfully with the tax collectors. If you're a history buff of any sort, I tend to think a little bit of the Nazi collaborators in France and how the French would view the Nazi collaborators during World War II, uh, those who participated, helped out the enemy. That's what this tax collector was. Tax collector, this is one that always jumps out at me, surprises me. Uh, poor people, beggars, were not allowed to accept alms, were not allowed to accept gifts from a tax collector. A tax collector was so excluded, so on the margins of everything, that to choose a tax collector, when Jesus picks a tax collector here, it is absolutely scandalous. It is a recognition of everything that strikes us, that should horrify us, when we realize who Jesus is picking here as his disciple. And it's one of the reasons why I believe that Levi is specially targeted here so that we see the story. Levi's just not a hanger-on. He's not part of the crowd. Levi is called by Jesus to follow him. And it is intentional to highlight for us that the gospel message extends to everyone. There is... Nobody outside the reach of the gospel message. And for those of us that occasionally struggle or have in our minds or worry or think to ourselves, what if this kicks me outside of the grace of God? What if this pushes me too far from the boundaries of the goodness of our Lord? We have the call of Levi to remind us that nobody, nothing is that scandalous. That's the first thing that it does. It reminds us that the gospel goes to everybody, and no matter how bad I am, there, there is a certain amount of this. You're supposed to look at Levi and sit there and think, okay, I know I've got some problems in my life, but this guy is really, at least if he can be accepted, then I can be accepted. And the other thing of the call of Levi occasionally is to realize that if Jesus calls 
these kinds of people, maybe that's who I am too. Maybe I am one of those kinds of people. Maybe it's not that Levi is so terrible and outside the realm, outside the mall. Normally, uh, people respond fairly well to my preaching. I've been doing it now for quite a number of years, and the congregations normally respond uh, fairly well to uh, the things I say. I get occasional pushback uh, from folks when they're like, I'm not sure that you handled that particular text well, and those always are fun conversations. I'm always right. Um, and we have those kind of interactions with people and across the board. And sometimes I make flat-out mistakes, like last week, by the way, when I said that NBC, uh, the, the ch- station was carrying the Super Bowl. Um, it wasn't NBC. Uh, so if you were sitting there waiting on the wrong channel and missed the Super Bowl, that was my fault. Um, so, you know, so and, and generously, a number of people pointed that out to me. Uh, so, you know, I, I realized that, you know, I can make some mistakes. But the one really hardcore pushback I ever really received from my sermons, uh, where it didn't get ugly, I don't want to overplay it, but it got really bad, was about 20 years ago, within a year or so, maybe within two years of uh, 9-11 and the destruction of 9-11, where I tried to draw the parallel between uh, sinners like you and me and Islamic terrorists. And I used the Islamic terrorists as an illustration and tried to say, get it in your heart what you feel about an Islamic terrorist. Now we're 20 years or so away from 9-11 and, and uh, many of you may not have the same emotional response right now to that thought. But at the time, it was a brutal thing for people to hear me trying to say that you're just like an Islamic terrorist. And of course, people came up and were kind of like, wait a minute, I know we're all sinners and everything, but that's pushing it too far. That's who Levi is. Levi, to the Jewish people, to the original readers of the scriptures, to Mark, and to Jesus, is what an Islamic terrorist would bring up in our minds or our thoughts. And the point of the call of this story is to emphasize that there is nobody outside the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That God can call everybody And God does not first and foremost expect the Islamic terrorist to straighten out his ways and then invite him into the kingdom of God. He calls Levi straight out of the tax booth, right in the midst of what he is doing. He calls him to follow after him. That's the breadth of the gospel. And for any time that you're tempted, substitute Islamic terrorist for whatever horrifies you, a political activist, a Cleveland Browns fan, I don't know, uh, whatever horrifies you, that's who Christ has called to follow him. And that's how you are to self 
identify as well. Jesus follows up this point or makes this point then through the following story. The story begins in verse 15 where Jesus is reclining at a table at a house. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard people say reclining actually means laying down. That's, they were laying down at the house. And if you've been around church long enough, you might have heard mentioned that that was standard practice back then. Back in the ancient Near East, if you were to eat a meal, uh, you would eat it laying down. That's sort of true. It's sort of not true. If you were having a regular meal, you'd just kind of sit up and you'd eat it with the plate on your lap. It was only the special meals. It was only the festivals, the feasts, the big things where you would recline to eat the table. In my household, we grew up where normally we always ate our, our meals at a specific table, but if we had friends over, if we had a company over or something like that, we brought out the fine china and we set up a special table and that kind of stuff. When we're told here that Jesus is reclining at the table, it's not that he's stopping by for food. It's not that he's just stopping by for a quick bite uh, to eat here. This is a festival. This is a feast that is taking place. So Jesus is at a feast where tax collectors and sinners are reclining there. And we're told, of course, that there are many who follow after Jesus at this point. So we get the picture, Levi perhaps is not the only tax collector. He's not the only Islamic terrorist that God has called to follow after him. And so you've got the whole crowd of people. And while they're eating meal together, this is one of the things that, that uh, I, I don't know how best to describe it. You just have to ratchet your head around it. To eat a meal with somebody, particularly that kind where you're celebrating, it's a feast kind of thing, you are identifying yourself with that person. There's a relationship. It's, it's predicated not just on, well, I'm just going to feed you because you're here in my home. That's just generic hospitality. But to, to feast together is to explicitly say, I am in relationship with you. I am identifying myself. I am connecting myself with you. And that's, of course, what gets under the scribes uh, and, and the Pharisees, their problem. Verse 16, then, the scribes and the Pharisees, when they see that he's eating with sinners and tax collectors, they say to the disciples, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? Now, depending on your version of the Bible, they might put sinners here in quotes. Uh, there are no quotes in the original text. All it does is say, no, he's eating with sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees are frustrated. Now, normally when we read this, it might be tempting to think, here are these snotty Pharisees, once again, that don't even think they're own sinners. They, you know, they deny their own sin, and they're just pointing their fingers at everybody else's sin. Again, not, not exactly right. The Pharisees realized that they too were sinners. They knew that they sinned. They knew, if you read their writings and stuff, the Pharisees realized that they didn't get everything right. They were trying desperately to do it, but they didn't get everything right. Why do they identify these guys as sinners? Uh, this is kind of something that we kind of use collectively as well. Um, the Pharisees thought of themselves, I fear, like I think of myself, or as you think of yourself. A man or a woman who sometimes sins. We, we try to do it right. We try to live a godly life, but we know that we can't do it all right, and occasionally we fall into sin. We do some, some bad things, and thank the Lord we occasionally have 
uh, in worship, we have collective call to worship, uh, sorry, confessions, times where we can actually get rid of those problem areas that we occasionally sin in. But in addition to those people that occasionally make mistakes, there are those people who live very intentionally and aggressively and purposely in sin. They don't just sin once in a while. They embrace the lifestyle. That's the way they're going to live their life. And again, fill in whatever blank you want. It's one of those people that are always like this. They are real sinners. That's what the Pharisees are targeting here. They're not saying Jesus meets with those who occasionally sin. They're saying, no, Jesus is with those guys that have embraced a sinful lifestyle and are living passionately in that sinful lifestyle. That's who they are embracing. Now, just to correct our mentality for a second, that's not Jesus' point, but we should point out that this distinction that I'm actually a really good guy that occasionally makes mistakes versus them who are really bad, wicked people living out of their sin consistently that's, that's a distinction that I make in my mind to make myself feel good. That's not the scripture. The message of the Lord is that there is no distinction between me who occasionally makes mistakes and these guys who are really, really bad off. Scriptures identify that sin arises out of our hearts and out of our hearts come the evil that separates us from the Lord Jesus Christ, if that's an evil that separates me occasionally every time I do something really bad, or somebody that's living passionately in sin. That's what it means to be a sinner. And so the Pharisees here say, why is he eating with those sinners? Now what are their concerns? Well, some of it is a sense of self-righteousness. These guys aren't worthy to have you there, Jesus. I suppose that's part of it. But part of it is that they don't want Jesus to be contaminated. You hang out with tax collectors if you just walk in the door of a tax collector's house. You have become contaminated by their sin. So then Jesus grabs a hold of this entire conversation in verse 17. When Jesus heard this, he said to them, to the disciples, to the tax collectors, to the Pharisees, he says to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Of course, Jesus is making two points here, I think. That one is the missionary point. What, a doctor cannot heal somebody from afar. All of us now live in a medical world where it takes forever to get to see a doctor. You know, we've all experienced those kind of things. We've got to see the doctor. The doctor's got to see us, video or whatever it is. We have to get face to face with the doctor. The doctor cannot heal us if he does not see us. And that mentality is what Jesus is saying, I am called to ministry. How can I do ministry if I am not with those who need it the most? And that's a challenge to anybody who's involved in a ministry outreach of this church or 
in your own heart or in your own relationship, in your own life. It is one thing to say to the world, come here and hear the gospel message. It's another thing to realize that as doctors in Christ's name, we need to go where they are. We need to go with them. The other thing Jesus is making real clear here is that the sinners that he is called to minister to is not just the ones that live that lifestyle, the Islamic terrorists that are way out in the outside. It is each and every one of us. I beg you in the Lord's name to see yourself as desperately needing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ because he is always present to give that grace. We shut ourselves off like the Pharisees shut themselves away from Jesus because they were unwilling to be with him. We shut ourselves away from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ if we do not recognize that we are the sick ones. We are the ones that need the love of Jesus Christ. Let's ask the Lord for exactly that blessing. Lord Jesus, we do pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds, that you would convict us of our sin, that you would enable us, Lord, to embrace the calling that you have given to us, not to be part of the crowd, but to recognize that we are desperately sick and that we too need the fullness of the gospel relationship, that eating, communing with you that is only possible because you have come exactly to minister to people who are just like me. Lord, save us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.